Please do uh, keep that open in front of you. As we come to God's word, let us come in prayer. Dearest God, thank you that you are a speaking God, that you do not leave us stumbling in the darkness, but your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By the power of your spirit, enlighten us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week when we were thinking about uh, Daniel chapter 3 with Robin, we were thinking about about big fish, big fish and little fish. Well, in this passage, we're still with Nebuchadnezzar, and I want to introduce us to the idea of who's the biggest cheese. I realize not everyone uses that expression, but in my family, the biggest cheese is the idea that you're, you're the big deal. You think you're a big cheese. So who's the biggest cheese? Uh, and as well as intru- introducing this idea, I've, I've just thought about popular culture, some of the, the heroes of popular culture, and we're going to see in the room who do we think is the biggest cheese. So if you think it's answer A, you've got to put your hands on your head. If you think it's answer B, you've got to put your hands on your shoulder. So who's the biggest cheese? Who's the greatest? Out of Dumbledore from Harry Potter, hands on head, or, or, uh, or Gandalf? from Lord of the Rings, hands and shoulders. Oh, a very strong Robin, putting his hands on his shoulders. Dumbledore. Oh, okay, yes, we've got some Harry Potter fans there. Oh, I think looking out, it looks like it's a a Dumbledore win. (laughs) Okay, next one. Now, you've got, okay, hands on heads. You've got Wonder Woman from the world of DC. That's hands on heads. Or from the world of Marvel, hands on shoulders, you've got Captain, Captain Marvel. Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel? I have to say, I find Captain Marvel highly annoying. So it's got to, it's got to be Wonder Woman for me. I feel, I feel like Wonder Woman's won that. Wonder Woman's won that. Okay. Now, thankfully, um, some of our more extreme Doctor Who fans aren't in the room. But, but I feel like there's still one or two around. Old Doctor Who. So this is like years ago. Old Doctor Who, hands on heads. Or new Doctor Who since like the Christopher Eccleston like revolution and since onwards. So old Doctor Who, new Doctor Who. Oh, oh we got a bit of both. We got a bit of both. Oh, this is, this is, that is a hard one to judge there. But another both there. Oh, I, oh dear, that's very in the middle. Maybe I feel like it might have just gone for old Doctor Who. So who's the biggest cheese? Who's the greatest? Um, and, and actually, it's interesting, that question of who's the greatest, it can sometimes just like infiltrate our minds, can't it? And we can sometimes be particularly interested in how great am I? How great am I in comparison to other people? We might know, okay, I'm not the biggest cheese. If I was in a fight with Batman, I might know that Batman's going to win. But I, in, my, in my social group, in my family, am I the biggest cheese? And it's actually quite interesting, as someone who is um, freakishly tall, how like, I, I do naturally walk into every sort of uh, setting and I look around and I'm like, yep, I'm the tallest person. <laughs> I'm the biggest cheese in terms of height. And what's really embarrassing, and I don't think, this, is, this doesn't put me in a good light, but the few times when I do meet people who are taller than me, I don't like them. <laughs> I'm like, you've stolen my thing. <laughs> but each of us can have that thing which we're like, oh, well, it's the thing which makes us the greatest, gives us that, makes us the biggest cheese, wherever for me. It's height, or maybe it's strength, or intelligence, or beauty, or it's sporting prowess. And it's like, or, or it's, it's some skill. It's like, I'm in this group, and I'm the best at this. That makes me the biggest cheese. 
So what does God have to say to us today with this, with this attitude that we can have where we love to sort of compare ourselves and work out where we stand? Well, we land in chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is a big cheese. Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of the Babylonian Empire. And this is a huge empire. It's absolutely massive. massive. It's colossal. It's terrifying. It's strong. It's vast. And last week we saw uh, this story of how Nebuchadnezzar got really puffed up and he built an image of gold. And he wanted everyone to worship it. But some people didn't worship it. Some Jewish men didn't worship it. And so they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But the Lord God showed that he was the Lord God of the world by being with them in the fire and bringing them out of it. Bringing them out of it. And Nebuchadnezzar, he sees this. And what's quite remarkable is he sees it and you think, oh, he's going to get this now. He's going to understand who the Lord is. And on one level, he does understand. But as this, this chapter reveals, he doesn't understand enough. And actually, he needs to change. Things need to change. So the Lord God gives him a dream, which Pamela beautifully read out for us from verse 4 to 18, gives him a dream. And in this dream, the Lord God gives him this, this image of a tree, which is vast. It's so big that it reaches up to the skies of the heavens. And it's so wide that it seems like almost it covers the world. And it's so big that, that, that birds can nest in its branches and that animals can prosper underneath it. It is this image of strength. But like in all good dreams, in reality of all dreams, an image can shift. And suddenly, like a, a messenger comes from above and comes down and says this tree has got to be felled. And so the tree is cut down. But the tree isn't just left there, cut down. Its, its roots are then bound in iron. And then again, the image of the dream, it shifts and it changes. And this tree suddenly becomes a person. And again, they get a shift because this person suddenly becomes animal-like in appearance and in mindset. This shifting dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, this big cheese, is like, what's going on? What is going on in this dream? What does it mean? And so he calls up all his wise men and he's like, tell me, what does this mean? And then we're given a hint, a little hint, that Nebuchadnezzar, even though he saw the fiery furnace, didn't quite understand all about it. Because we hear that Nebuchadnezzar calls Belteshazzar to him. Now, Belshazzar is Daniel from the earlier chapters. And Belshazzar is given the name Belshazzar, we find out in this chapter, because actually Nebuchadnezzar has given him that name after his own holy gods. Nebuchadnezzar hasn't quite grasped who the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is. And so he's given Daniel this other name. But he calls Daniel up and he's like, tell me what this dream means. What could a dream mean of a tree and the man and the animal? What does it mean? Help me. Interpret it for me. Have you ever done that? After you have a vivid dream, you try and work out what does that mean? It was interesting, while I was at camp, I actually had a dream of me having a fight. And I was like, do I, are these my teenage boys going to annoy me? <laughs> they weren't, we were fine. But like, you have a dream and you're like, what does that mean? But Daniel is an expert at interpreting dreams. And this dream, at first he's a bit perplexed by it. But then, then he starts to get terrified. He's really terrified. Nebuchadnezzar's like, that's okay. Just tell me how it is. Tell me what this dream means. 
And so Daniel does. Gives him this long explanation of what the dream means. That tree, Nebuchadnezzar, which fills the whole earth and is felled, that tree is you. You are the tree. As Daniel is, is, is informing Nebuchadnezzar about what's going to happen to him, his felling, his, his becoming animal-like, well, then Daniel gives him some words of advice. Look down with me, verse 27. We didn't read this out, but chapter 4, verse 27. Here his words of advice. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. He's like, come on, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be felled. You're going to have a mind like an animal. Repent, believe, turn. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Does he repent? Does he believe? Does he turn? Well, as the story goes on, we're not told exactly what Nebuchadnezzar thinks about that advice, but we're told that he definitely doesn't listen to it. Because Nebuchadnezzar, we find out, then goes walking 12 months later on top of his palace. And he's walking around there. And you can imagine him now saying this statement in verse 30, this statement in the most arrogant and obnoxious of voices. He's like, is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, he's so puffed up. He looks at his kingdom. He looks at his palace. He's like, yes, I am mighty. I am great. I am majestic. And then what happens? What happens? Well, immediately a voice from heaven a voice from heaven comes and tells him about the one who truly is mighty and truly is great. The messenger arrives. And as that messenger arrives, verse 33, immediately, immediately Nebuchadnezzar is changed. Immediately his, his, his nails, they start to grow. And immediately his hair becomes like, like, like feathers. And immediately his mind becomes like an animal. And he's, and he's losing control. And we're given this really vivid sort of image. But then what is quite remarkable is we're not told very much about now what his life was like, except that he had a mind like an animal. But then we have a first-person account of what he did next. Verse 34. Here Nebuchadnezzar himself described what he did next. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He raises his eyes towards heaven. He raises his eyes towards heaven. And in that moment, that is the moment of him turning. That is the moment from, from going from one way and turning towards the other. He raises his eyes towards heaven. He praises the God who is and was and the Most High. And in that moment, he is changed, and he is restored, and his sanity is restored, and he's no longer like an animal, wild. But what's the, what's the point of this story? Why do we here today in Sidcup need to, need to know this? Well, I think the point of this story, and why we've heard it, even after thousands of years of it occurring, I think the point of the story is, you're not the boss. God is. You are not the boss. God is. 
Because actually, why does this happen here? Why does all this occur? Well, we're actually told in verse 17, in that original dream from the messenger, we're told, look down verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. All of this will happen so the living will know that the Most High is sovereign over the the kingdoms of men. You're not the boss. God is. There's lots of big cheeses in the world and lots of people who we think are very impressive, whether they be Dumbledore or Gandalf, whether they be um, Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman, they be old Doctor Who or new Doctor Who. There's lots of things which can be out there very impressive. There are lots of strong men and women in society who look very impressive. The reality is they're not the big cheese. They're not the boss. Only the Lord is. So what does then that mean for us, for you and me here today, if only the Lord is the, God, is the boss? Well, I think the final line of Nebuchadnezzar's statement says it all. Look at that final line in, uh, in chapter 4, the final sentence. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Because it's interesting, isn't it, with Nebuchadnezzar? What, to, to say he just has one sin is way too simplistic a thing to understand what sin is. But what is his major sort of like crime, we could say, at this moment, is Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's the biggest deal. He thinks that he's the boss. He thinks that he's the big cheese. He thinks that he's the greatest. He thinks that he's the best. He thinks that it's by his might and his power that he reigns. He thinks it's by his might and his power that he's built this He is the proud. And it's interesting, in his repentance, well, what title does he give the living God? And there's so many titles you could give God, aren't there? Lord of Lords, King of Kings, all of those would have been appropriate. The title he uses is the Most High. Nebuchadnezzar is great, but there is one who is the Most High, who is higher than all the rest. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And so for us, we we must be careful that we do not walk in pride. And actually, God has given us wonderful good gifts, and we can be thankful for them. For height, it's a wonderful gift from the Lord. Or intelligence, or beauty, or sporting prowess. Or skills, or talents, abilities, which only you have. They're wonderful gifts from the Lord. They're wonderful, beautiful things. But we should never be proud of those things. Because they're gifts from his hand. We should never think, oh, because I'm the tallest man in every single situation, I'm the greatest. Or because I'm the strongest, I'm the greatest. I'm the cleverest, I'm the greatest. I'm the most beautiful, I'm the greatest. No. These are gifts from the Lord's hands. They're good things, but they're not ultimate things. The Lord has the ability to humble the proud. So we should not be proud. We should be thankful for the good gifts that he's given us. But we should know that he is the most high. And that's when we have those moments when we're like, ah, actually, I, I look in a mirror of God's word, I look at myself here, and, and I see my own pride, and I see my own sin. Well, actually, that's the moment where we, like, we hear the messenger, we hear the words of Daniel, we, we hear that need, repent, turn from wickedness to righteousness, turn from self to God. We see ourselves in the mirror of, our, of God's word. We turn to him, and we say, sorry, Father, that I put myself above you. That I've, I thought that I'm great because of this gift which you've given me. Help me to be humble, like your son is humble. And then we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to purify us, to redeem us. We trust in that 
pouring out of his spirit to lead us down that road of humility, that road that Jesus took. So let us hear the words of Daniel 4. We are not the boss, but God is. Let's uh, have a moment's pause, and then I'll close in prayer. Oh, dearest God, thank you for every good gift that you give us. Thank you for talents, skills, abilities that we have that which are from your hand, which you, which you want us to use for the, for the building of your kingdom and for the love of others and love of you. And forgive us, Father God, when we think we're great because of these gifts. And help us, Father God, to instead know that you are the Most High, that you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords, that every good gift comes from your hand, and that you are the one who is sovereign over it all. And we ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.